So when I tell a story, I, I do my best to relive it, not retell it. And the truth is, if you really want to be a great storyteller, don't retell a story, relive a story. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. All right, storytellers, welcome to the show. I am your host, Dan Moyle, and I'm so excited to have you here today. As we're talking to business storytellers, uh, my guest today is an incredible figure in the business world, and we're about to get to his story in just a minute. But before we do, quick reminder that you can find everything you need about the Storytellers Network at the website, thestorytellersnetwork.com, how to contact me if you want to send me a note. There's resources there on how to tell a great story from people much smarter than me uh, and other stuff. Past episodes, great guests. I'm so blessed to have the guests that I've had. So go to thestorytellersnetwork.com for all of that. And if you're new and you want to subscribe, text the word storytellers to 31996. You'll get a text back on how to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google and that kind of stuff. And you can find us on Spotify too if you're not listening on Spotify. So check that out. Now today's guest on the Storytellers Network is the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI. It's a business network international. And he's also an author, a humanitarian, and the expert in the field of business networking. Dr. Ivan Meisner travels the world discussing referral networking, personal and professional development, and so much more. And he's been featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal on networks like CNN, NBC, and so much more. Even uh, a great station, a great show in Connecticut that you'll hear about later in the episode. So stay tuned for that for sure. In the meantime, let's get to Ivan's stories. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Ivan Meisner. I appreciate you taking time to talk to the Storytellers Network, my friend. Thank you. My pleasure. And please call me Ivan. I will do so. Uh, So, Ivan, I like to talk to storytellers, obviously. And I like to think of almost kind of anybody as that. But when I was... When I was getting to know you a little bit behind the scenes, I looked at your bio and stuff. You've written more than 20 books. You've spoken on the stages around the world. You engage with people throughout your organization of of BNI. Do you also call yourself a storyteller among everything else that you do? Yeah, absolutely. No no question about it. I I like to consider myself a bit of a, a raconteur. Uh, you know, as someone who tells uh, stories in a in a skillful or amusing way, I particularly like. I like the amusing. I like uh, you know. I like to have some fun with my presentations. And storytelling is an absolute critical element of communication. I think. And why do you think that is? What what makes it so vital to what we do? Oh, because um, stories are sticky. Hmm. When I tell a story, the message sticks better with a story than it does strictly with facts, data, or information. Sure. And do you tell those stories, you know, in order, do you tell the stories with a business goal in mind or do you also, do we all use stories when we're even networking? Yeah. Well, look, um, I, the, the story has to have a point. If the story doesn't have a point, it's called a joke. Um, you know, a story has got to have a point. It's got to be a lesson there somewhere. 
Um, and so I tell, I tell my stories to, to drive home some kind of point, whether it's business or personal. I mean, you know, you tell my kid, you talk to my kids, <laughs> oh, dad's going off on one of his stories again. Yeah. But usually there's some point, some lesson, something to be learned, uh, either for me or for them, for someone else. I, I use stories mostly for education, for teaching. Um, you know, it's a way to communicate um, effectively to people in an entertaining way. Um, so, so it kind of sounds like you consider yourself a teacher too, then. In a oh, way, no question right? about it. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, I mean, you I, the one thing I miss, I miss, uh, I miss teaching at university. I taught for oh, close to 20 years at a state university. Uh, part-time, I was an adjunct faculty. I miss that, but I still teach. You know, I think, I think my role for the company is, is to, is to be, you know, a teacher to, to, to pass down the lessons. You see, education is a leaky bucket process. When I teach something to someone, some of the information leaks out. It's got holes in the bucket. And when they teach someone else, more information leaks out. When they teach someone else, more information leaks out. So by the time you're at the third or fourth generation, you have a half a bucket of information. And when that happens, people start putting their own stuff in and it may not be good stuff. So the better you can be at being consistent in your education, uh, particularly with systems and processes, stories, manuals, the more likely you are to have a, a less of a leaky bucket. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. <clears throat> I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it put that way. So thanks for that. Um, it is kind of a leaky bucket. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's really good. Uh, so Ivan, where does that start for you uh, as a storyteller? Does that go back to when you were teaching? Does that go back even further? How does that, how does that look for you? Well, uh, it, for me, it started in high school. Uh, I had an amazing high school teacher speech, speech class. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Tabner was his name. He passed away many years ago, but Mr. Tabner, great speech teacher. Um, he really uh, watered me in the sense of he saw a talent and he, he poured into me um, ideas and, and support to make me a better speaker. And, um, and so uh, I, I attribute a lot of my, my skill and training um, to having had speech class in high school. And does that translate over into the writing too then? I mean, is it yeah. being a presenter is, is being a writer as well? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the better you are at being able to tell stories um, in your writing, the more it's, again, it's sticky. Um, you know, the more the stickier you can make it, the better. Now, I think there's a, a little bit of a formula for telling a good story. Uh, you, would you like to hear my form? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not mine. I, 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 you know, shared, I've gotten this from many different people. But I think there's four elements to telling a great story. A story has to be a fact wrapped in an emotion that compels people to take action, that transforms them in some way. Let me repeat that. A story is a fact. You're trying to get, you're trying to get information across but you got to wrap it in some kind of emotion. Um, you either want to pull on somebody's heartstrings or you want to make them laugh. Humor is particularly sticky, I think. So uh, it's a fact wrapped in an emotion that compels people to take action. That's critical. If they don't take action, what's the point of the story? And that action has to transform them in some way. And if you can do that with a story, you have, you have hit on every single cylinder and you make a difference in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when, 
when you described your, your teacher, it kind of makes me think that, you know, we can all use mentors. Yeah. Do you now do that for others then as well? I certainly try to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we all have somebody in our story. Mm-hmm. I could tell you stories about me, uh, about how a mentor changed my life in some way. They did some small thing that made a huge difference. Mr. Tavner was certainly one. He did a lot of things that made a difference in my life. We all have people in our life. We all have people in our story. Mm-hmm. But I think the older you get, the more gray hair you have, like I do, the more important it is for you to come to the realization that it's no longer who's in my story. I mean, that's still important to me, but what's even more important is whose story are you in? Let me repeat that. It's not who's in your story, it's whose story are you in? Whose life are you changing? What difference are you making for someone else? And if you can, you're talking about mentors, if you can mentor someone, and it's always amazing to me how some little, small thing you might do can have a major impact on somebody's impression of you, uh, someone's impression of life, someone's impression about themselves by some small thing that you may have um, said to them. And so it's, it's more than just who's in your story, it's whose story are you in, which means that you need to be cognizant about being a mentor, even if it's not, you know, once a week you're talking to somebody, but just a one conversation with a person, um, you can add value to their life. Yeah, yeah. Now, is that part of what BNI was kind of founded on? Is that connection, mentoring, helping others? Yeah, no, no, no question. I mean, our principal core value is giver's gain. The idea that if I help you, you'll help me, we'll all do better as a result of it. And I'd have to say it's worked pretty well. We now have 8,865 chapters in 73 countries around wow. the world. Wow. Um, it's, it's been Mr. Toad's wild ride. I mean, <laughs> it really is amazing. Now, I no longer manage the day-to-day operation for BNI. I'm sort of the Colonel Sanders of BNI. I'm the spokesperson yeah. for the organization. And, uh, you know, I love, I love what I do. I love what BNI does. Last year, we passed 11.2 million referrals wow. within BNI. And, and from those 11.2 million referrals, we generated 14.2 billion, with a B, $14.2 billion worth of business for our members. Now, Dan, just so you know, $14 billion is more than the gross domestic product for the country of Liechtenstein. That's incredible. Okay, it's a small country, I know, but still. But, but still. How cool is that, that we could do that? You are your own country. That's <laughs> we awesome. are. We're bigger than Liechtenstein. <laughs> that's incredible. Man, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so speaking of the, co- the, the company and your role in it, I love the title of Chief Visionary Officer. Yeah. It sounds really cool. But what does that mean for you then, like, on a day-to-day basis? Well, so that, that title was bestowed upon me by our CEO about four and a half years ago. I brought in a, a partner into the company and, um, and he, he suggested that I use the CBO title, Chief Visionary Officer. I thought it was a little woo-woo, to be honest with you. <laughs> I did. It was like, yeah, really? But then I looked into it and oftentimes the Chief Visionary Officer of a company is the founder mm-hmm. because the founder is, I believe, uniquely positioned to represent the organization. Uh, There'll never be another founder of BNI. And so the founder of the organization, if it's something they like, and I, I love it, I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. 
when they're in their flame, they're on fire. They love what they're doing. They're passionate about it. You can see it in the way they act. You can hear it in their voice. When they're working in their wax, it takes all their energy away. You can see it in the way they act. You can hear it in their voice. So being the spokesperson for BNI is my flame. I love it. And that's really the role uh, is, to, is to help continue to carry forward the vision of BNI, which begins with our principal core value of, of Givers Gain. Did you ever think that when this started that that would be your end goal to be that spokesperson that gets to, gets to do what you do every day and love it? Okay. Uh, yes and no. Yeah. Um, no, not in particularly with BNI. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization, you know, with 8,000 locations. But when I started BNI, I was just looking for referrals for my consulting business and I wanted to help my friends. And it just, it blew up. It just snowballed. And, you know, a, a year into it, I created a plan. I, I thought that we could really scale this business. But when I started it, that's not quite what I th thought. However, I will tell you, and I, I wrote a blog about this. You can find the blog. If you go to IvanMeiser.com and look at uh, uh, life lessons, just do a search on life lessons. When I was in my 20s, I wrote my life plan. Uh, you know, in, in general terms, you know, I didn't, I didn't say I want to be the founder of a global organization with 8,000 locations. I mean, that's not what I said. Yeah. But what I said, basically, I'll see if I can remember. What I said basically was that in my 20s, those were my learning years. I wanted to be a sponge. I wanted to work crazy long hours and immerse myself into something and really learn. In my 30s, uh, I wanted to start to really improve my game. I wanted to pick a lane, pick a lane, pick a business, and just charge forward in my 30s. In my 40s, I wanted that to be uh, my, 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 my real uh, growth years, that I took that lane and just scaled a business. My 50s, I wanted to be at the top of my game. Uh, I mean, I wrote this all down. It's in there. It's in my blog. What I did decade by decade by decade, and in my 60s and beyond, and I wrote this down 40 years ago, I wanted to be the elder statesman of whatever it is I did. So whatever I did, the words I actually used was, I, wanted, I want to be the elder statesman. I want to be the person that people come to on, on whatever field it is you do. And I didn't quite know in my 20s what I was going to be when I grew up. Yeah. But I wanted to be the elder statesman. And so from that sense, I had a pretty clear vision of where I wanted to go in my life. It wasn't necessarily quite this with BNI, but so do you see where I'm saying yes and no? Yeah, absolutely. Is it, is it too late for somebody in their 40s to have that kind of vision? <laughs> absolutely not too late. It's never too late. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was lucky I did it in the 20s, but it's absolutely never too late to, to create a vision as to where you want to be for the rest of your life. And, and today, more than ever, you know, we, we live so much longer. Um, you know, you're in your 40s, man, you got 50 years to go. Right. So, yeah, don't wait until you're in your 60s to create a vision. Now's the time <laughs> to do it. There's a great Chinese saying. I love this saying. When's the best time to plant an oak tree? The answer is 20 years ago. And then it goes on to say, when's the second best time hmm. today? So if you didn't plant it 20 years ago, today's the next best time. That's fair. Absolutely. And it sounds kind of like what you, I mean, you crafted your story back in your twenties and then executed. 
So even back then, story probably is pretty important, I guess, huh? Absolutely. Story, story is just so important in, on so many levels. Um, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's nothing new. We're talking about it a lot more in the last few decades. But, you know, I think um, culturally, we as, um, uh, you know, humankind have uh, often uh, used storytelling as a way of, um, you know, carrying on our culture. And, you know, before there was writing, there was stories. And so, you know, this is certainly nothing new, but it's kind of, we're coming full circle and really focusing more and more on, on the storytelling again, which I think is powerful. So obviously you like that. Um, what do you think is one of the challenges to, to that and to storytelling uh, professionally? I, I think people, um, I don't think they know how to tell a story well. Um, I think they sometimes make the story too much about them. I think they retell a story. And the truth is, if you really want to be a great storyteller, don't retell a story, relive a story. So when I tell a story, I, I do my best to relive it, not retell it. I visualize where I was. I visualize who I was with. I try to set a scene for who was doing what, who was sitting where, who said what. Now you could go into too much detail with that. There's, there's a balance there. So you gotta relive a story, don't retell a story. And I think people, they don't get that the, that the story really isn't just about them, it's about a message. You gotta, you gotta take them on a journey and that that journey has to uh, compel them to take some kind of action that transforms them in some way. Uh, and I think people don't practice their stories. You've got to practice, practice, practice your storytelling. Uh, you know, I never, um, I never just do a story once. I work on it. And you may say, well, how do you work on a story? Story is a story. Yeah, it's that. You got to, you got to get the timing done, especially if like humor, you got to know when to pause. You, you may create the same scene, but the way you describe it, could vary and the way you describe it helps to create a better scene and the timing is critical in storytelling absolutely critical and the words you use are critical and so the only way to hone all of that is to practice that and and you know i don't think my my poor wife has heard you know every variation of every story that i have because i run a lot of these stories by her just to get her her feedback so you got to find somebody that you can run your stories by and and practice them and, and, and hone them. And then when you stand on stage and you do a story, make a note what works and what doesn't work. Because sometimes I'll be telling a story and for whatever reason, I'll add a sentence and boom, it, you know, I get a laugh or people go, wow. And I will literally pull out my pen and mark that page hmm. with, with a, a word or two that I said to remind me I need to incorporate that into my story. So you're constantly honing your story. Yeah. And so athletes watch film afterwards. Do you go back and watch your presentations to see that as well? Oh no. Is that a no? <laughs> I hate doing that. Yeah. I do it. I used to do it a whole lot. Uh, I, I, I don't do it as much anymore uh, because you know, I, I have found other ways to practice, but um, yeah, I'd recommend it. I absolutely recommend it. And it's painful. <laughs> it's painful. Yeah. It's painful even now. And I'm, I'm a pretty good storyteller, but you know, I sit back and I watch it. It's like, well, wait, you know, why did I 
why did I leave out that sentence that I always put right there mm-hmm. and I left it out or whatever. So, um, yeah, you, I, I think you're right. Athletes do that. You need to do that. At some point, maybe you get to the point where you don't do it as much, but um, I think you're right. You, you, you should watch. Yeah. Always, always improving, always learning, right? That's, that's a huge thing. Um, so I, I was going to ask who gets to hear all the stories. So your wife, that's funny. Um, what if well, someone- When I was young, it would be my mother. Okay. You know, I, I would stand in front of my mom and do all these stories, especially when I was in high school, when I was in college, I would do them for her. And then when I got married, my wife kind of took over that, that mantle. And um, she, uh, she, she hears virtually every story I have before. And I'll run it by her. Hey, what do you think if I put this story into this talk? Hmm. And, you know, she gives me incredible feedback that um, has helped make me a better storyteller. That's awesome. It's great to have a partner like that. Yep. We've been married 30 years. I met, I met my wife in BNI. It was the best referral I ever got. <laughs> That's awesome. And th- so 30 years. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thir- 30 years this year. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the secret to that? Just finding one who can put up with your stories? <laughs> you know, everybody's different. Yeah. Um, and, and every relationship is different and no relationship is easy. I think one of the things that we say, because, you know, as, as you're married longer, people ask you, what's, what's the secret? Uh, I think one of the secrets for us is giving each other um, uh, grace. Mm. Uh, uh, we, 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 have, we have come to the place in our marriage, and we did this a long time ago, where we both recognize that we love each other. And, um, and that if one of us does something stupid, usually it's me, probably. <laughs> If one of us does something stupid, the, the other person recognizes that it was just something stupid they did. It wasn't, it wasn't done out of malice. It wasn't done because there wasn't love. Uh, and, and so we just have to give each other grace. And I think that's really important. I think the other thing is um, love and respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we read a book a long time ago on love and respect. And uh, basically the theme of the book was that uh, and this is a gross generalization and not everybody fits this, but based on this book, they found that women, when asked what is the most important thing to you from your uh, spouse, um, love or respect, women generally said love and men generally said respect. Yeah. And that was a real eye opener for us um, because my wife was blown away that I said, when she asked me that question, she didn't tell me the answer. And and I said, respect, you know, I assume you love me. It's respect that I would hope to get. And she was blown away by that. So understanding each other and, you know, uh, me going out of my way to speak to her in a loving way and her going out of her way to speak for me to me in a respectful way that has nothing to do with storytelling but that's the answer to your question well yeah well that's that's part of why i love what i do because it's conversations you know and so just i mean just getting to know somebody and what they do and how they tell a story i think is really really the cool part so uh so thanks for sharing that ivan i appreciate it um where do you where do you go to find inspiration when you're getting ready to craft maybe a new presentation or write a new story or share those life lessons where does that inspiration come from for you as a storyteller? So I have found that my best stories come from my most embarrassing moments. Mm. And so what I often do is I think about some bonehead thing I did, some, something that at the moment was horrifying to me. You know, I can't believe I did that. That was really stupid. But <laughs> people love it because it's... Um, 
first of all, first of all, if you have some level of success and you use self-deprecating humor, people feel connected to you. Mm. They feel like, okay, he's not on this pedestal. He's not in this ivory tower. He does bonehead things too. Now you gotta, you gotta, you gotta tie it in. You gotta make it work with the message you're trying to get across. But if you can find a story that you can incorporate in and it has some self-deprecating humor. Um, so I think, about, I think about things I've done. I think about experiences in my life. You know, again, it depends on what message I'm trying to get across. If I'm trying, if I'm talking about mentorship, I tell a story about mentorship. If, I, if I'm talking about networking, I will often talk about stupid things I did networking. So that people can see what not to do. Don't do this. <laughs> I did it once. Don't do it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've heard it said that uh, relationships are the ultimate currency. And, and not, again, you know, it sounds almost kind of a little bit like, I don't know, swampy or something. I don't know what the word is. But, but, but what it means to me is that we are powerful and rich through our networks, through our, our yeah. circles, that kind of a thing. So if that's the case for storytellers. What is one of the keys from, from the, the, the grandfather, the godfather of networking, the, the guru of networking? What's one of the keys to building a powerful network as a storyteller? Well, I think before you, you, you get to, to telling stories, you have to understand the foundation of what I teach in networking. And that is what I call the VCP process, visibility, credibility, profitability. First, you have to be visible in the community. People have to know who you are and what you do. Then you move to credibility where people know who you are. They know what you do. They know you're good at it. And then you can move to profitability where people know who you are, what you do. They know you're good at it and they're willing to refer you business. So you got to understand that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's all about creating relationships. And one of the best way to create relationships is to help someone. So if you can find a way to help someone, you start to build that relationship. And as you build that relationship, you, 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 you talk to them, the, the, the language of referrals is done through storytelling. You, you tell stories about what makes a good referral for you. You ask for stories as for what makes a good referral from someone else. Tell me your dream referral. Well, that's a story. I'll tell you, in BNI, um, we train our, our directors, our franchises. We call, we call it three plus one for success. Three plus one. This is what it takes to be successful at building a region of BNI. Uh, open chapters, fill chapters with members, retain members, and the plus one is tell stories. Hmm. And the plus one applies to all three of those. So uh, for members, we say um, bring in members, um, 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 retain members, engage in your chapter, be engaged in your, so it's quality, quantity, engagement. Those are the three things for members, plus one. And you do all of that through stories. You bring in quality members by talking to them about stories about your success. You bring in a number of members by talking about your success. You engage people by talking about how you, learned how to network and became successful. So everything that we teach in BNI is the plus one. It's the storytelling, which covers all aspects of a business. Mm, that's really good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, how do you think technology has changed what we do? And, and I, and I want to get to two parts to this. The first part is I want to stay on the BNI track. How has technology and social media and everything else changed how we do networking? 
So for me, um, I, I read a book in the early 1980s by uh, John Nesbitt called Megatrends. And in it, he said um, that we're, we're moving. He said one of the big trends in the world is networking. He said that in the early 80s. Uh, and he said, we're moving towards a high-tech, high-touch society that more technologically advanced would become the more important it is to have a high-touch to connect with people. We've arrived. We're there. Uh, what he predicted in the early 80s has come true. And so, uh, to me, online networking, social networking, and face-to-face -face networking, it's not either or, it's both and. Mm -hmm. That both have a place in building a successful business today. And, and that surprises people to hear the founder of BNI say that. But the, the truth is, um, it, it, it's, it is true it's, and it's powerful. Technology has flattened the communication hierarchy. Mm. When I started BNI, a conversation with someone through Zoom uh, someplace else in the world for free was unheard of. Mm. Unheard of. This, one of my largest line items in my budget was the long distance phone bill. <laughs> it's not even, I don't even know where it is in the budget now. There is no long distance phone bill to speak of. So technology has really changed the ability to connect. And so I'm a believer in social media, but it's not either or it's both ends. You need to have both the face-to-face -face and, and social media. Um, that, that's how I feel. So it's, it's helped, but it's also hindered. I haven't talked about that. It's also hindered it in the sense that sometimes people think, well, all I have to do is, is post on on social media and people are just going to knock down my door trying to do business. And that's just not true. Right. VCP applies online, visibility, credibility, profitability you know, it applies online. But it, I think it takes even longer to build a relationship online than it does face to face. I, and I've really found over the years that social media can be amazing when taken offline. I love, I used to love Twitter. I'm still on Twitter, but I used to love Twitter because we would have then conversations in real life and I'd make friends through it and make connections but it always happened offline. So offline, yeah. Um, so yeah. now staying with technology, then how has technology and social media and anything else changed the craft of storytelling? Do you think? Well, it's it's been good and bad. Uh, it's it's been good because uh, I'm able to get my message out to oh, so many more people. Right. I think the challenge with it is, you know, it's it's telling a story in 140 characters. You know, it's hard to do that. But if you include links, so I, I'm, again, I'm a fan because, you know, if you can just give a, a sound bite to get someone interested and then take them to a site where maybe you have a, a short video, a couple of minute video, or you have content like in my blog where you can go a little bit deeper, uh, get a little more granular, it's powerful. So I think superficially, it's problematic because everything is, you know, looks like sound bites. But, but if you can link stuff where you can go deeper, then I think it's, it's powerful. And based on results, I'd have to say it's incredibly powerful. I mean, just look at the growth of BNI. In the first 11 years of BNI, from 1985 to 1996, we opened 500 chapters. Now, 1996 is uh, generally considered to be the, the start of the World Wide Web. So 1996 to 2007, First 11 years, we opened 500 groups. And I used to have people say to me, oh, the internet's gonna really affect BNI. And they were right, it did. From, from 1996 to 2007, we opened 5,000 groups. Wow. <laughs> so first 11 years, 500, second 11 years, 5,000. Yeah. 
Uh, we're pushing 9,000 now. And uh, I think uh, I'm a fan of online, uh, but you just got to use it in a way that for those people who want to go deeper, they can, they can follow you into a more granular kind of platform. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because the 140 characters, the six second videos, the Facebook lives, it can be done terribly, but it can also be done with an incredible skill and precision for storytellers. It makes yes. me jealous of some people's skills and creativity. <laughs> yeah. But then we go to school on them and we improve our own storytelling as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of the cool part too, I think about this is that kind of what you said earlier, kind of to, to echo that to get our story out and to connect with so many people around the world can be very powerful. We can learn so much. So that's, yeah. that's huge. Um, you've, I, I got to believe you've heard all kinds of stories from around the world, all your travels, all the BNI participants, everybody that you've got to have heard a ton of stories. Do you have any favorites that stick out just again, maybe in general, maybe inspirational, maybe BNI related, but what kind of stories impact you? Well, I think the, the stories that um, have a, th that have a message, you know, um, I mean, a real, a meaningful message. Those are the stories that always impact me. Um, and it may be in BNI, it may be how much money they made, but oftentimes it's not. The ones that really stick in my mind are, are the transformational stuff, how they were before and how they are now. Like people who say, yeah, yeah, I've made a lot of money in BNI, but let me tell you something. What I really love about BNI is I can now stand and, and talk to a, a large group of people and, and, and be comfortable with that. I, you know, it's taught me how to speak to others. Um, you know, when I hear people tell stories about how they're in business today because of BNI, that, that uh, you know, I, one guy in particular that I met, he said that he, he put his entire life savings into starting his moving and storage company. His entire life savings, his retirement, everything. He and his wife, they poured it into this business and they opened their doors in January or February of 2008. And he said the great recession hit. Oh. And he was, Keith really thought he was on the verge of bankruptcy and he was going to lose it all everything he had worked his life towards. And, and he joined the BNI chapter. And, um, and through that BNI chapter, he started generating tons of business. And today he has, um, it was a moving and storage. He had one truck, no storage location. Today he has multiple storage locations, two offices in two different states and a dozen trucks or more. And, you know, you hear stories like that where, somebody not only survives a recession, but thrives during recession. You hear a story like that and it's, it's life-changing. That's, that's the kind of story that you can see transformation. Uh, I'm glad you get to hear those stories. That's, that's awesome. We, we hear so many negative stories that the fact that BNI gets to share those among its ranks and you get yeah. to hear them. That's pretty powerful. Um, I, I have to believe that the early days for you, similar to him, had to have been a little bit difficult. And then now you get to where you are, you look around, you've got milestones that in my eyes might show you that you've made it, so to speak, right? Yeah. How, how does that feel? How does, can you think back to that those early days and see a path or is it just all kind of like, here I am now? <laughs> no, I think there was a path. I, I'm, first of all, I, I tell people I'm a 20 year overnight success. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, yeah. It took 20 years because people think, I remember think people thought I was just incredibly successful, you know, 
10 years into BNI and they had no idea that, that I was just barely making ends meet. I mean, it, we, were, we were successful, but we weren't wildly successful. And one of the reasons for it was I was pouring money back into the company to grow. And it really truly took me 20 years. I lived in the same house before I started BNI um, for 19 years. So I started BNI, um, I lived in this house for a year. I, so I lived in the same house for 20 years before I bought my dream home. And, and um, you know, it, it, the secret to success without hard work is still a secret. It, you know, <laughs> it takes hard work. And so I had a path, I had a goal, I had a whole series of goals and I stayed on that path and, and, um, and achieved some level of success. I think one of the reasons for that, and, and I, I see a lot of business people that they don't get this. You wanna be successful in business? Do six things a thousand times. Not a thousand things six times. Most businesses do a thousand things six times. They keep jumping around from one bright, shiny object to another. And I'm here to tell you, if you want to achieve success, you got to figure out what are the key success factors in that business. And then you got to be a dog with a bone. And I'm a dog with a bone. I may not be the, when I walk into a room, I know I may not be the smartest guy in there. I may not be the most talented guy in there, but I can tell you I'm almost always the most persistent guy in that room. And, and so you got to figure out what your strengths are and run with those and do six things a thousand times. And so I, I didn't quite know exactly where I'd be, but I had a, I had a path, I had a vision and damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. <laughs> there you go. Six things a thousand times. That's, that's good. It's powerful. Um, Ivan, do you have a favorite storytelling platform, stage books, videos, Stage. Stage, yeah. Stage. I, you know, I can do it. Uh, listen, I, I tell the same stories in a book. It, it's different, by the way. Telling a story in a book is different. Um, for, I'll give you an example. I have a great story. It's an old football story that I've used for decades um, when I was in high school football, and I tell this great story. And, um, and in the story, I, I recorded the story so that I could put it into a book, and it didn't work without editing because you, you say things in um, a story that verbally that don't work in writing. For example, I'd, I, when I met a first, I, I, I had an opportunity to see the, the Los Angeles Rams in person, full regalia, I was on the field, they walked out. And in my story on stage, I would say, you know, I, I saw these guys and they were that big. Well, that big doesn't work in a book. Yeah. So I, I actually had to change what I said, you know, and, and I changed my story so I could write about it. And then now what I do is I say, imagine that door frame with a helmet. <laughs> you know, so now that's visual. Imagine a door frame with a helmet. That works. Yeah. So you change your story in writing versus on stage. But I, 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 I love on stage because you get immediate feedback that mm -hmm. you don't get in a book. You don't get that immediate feedback. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, just for me, I think that's where I'm leaning over the years. I love being on the stage. Yeah. I don't, I, do, I, I understand some people really fear public speaking, but I also just don't get it. Like, it's just so much fun. It is fun, but you got to practice and it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's frightening to stand up there and, and have everyone, you know, watching you. I, I, I get that. I'm a good friend of mine, Andy, Andy Lapata wrote, wrote the book. Um, I, I think the title is, uh, and death came third. And it's based on a survey of people as to what they're most afraid of. Speaking was number one. Death 
was three. <laughs> Dying was the third thing they were most afraid of, but speaking was number one. And he talks about the importance of speaking and how you're going to improve your, your business, uh, whatever it is, by learning how to tell stories and speak. Mm -hmm. Man, great stuff, Ivan. This has been absolutely incredible. Um, before I let you go, I want to know, my, my final question is my favorite. And I want to know that if, since you consider yourself a storyteller, this may be difficult, but if somebody said to you tomorrow, Ivan, you cannot tell any more stories professionally. You're done. You can't be a storyteller. What would your last story be that you'd want to go out on? Well, I don't know if you have enough time for it. Sure, absolutely. If you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think probably one of the funniest stories, um, and it's a very meaningful story in my presentations, uh, would be, uh, and, and, and I'll give you context. I'm, I'm, it's a presentation I do where I talk about practicing your networking and that it's, it's so critical to practice. Um, and, and, I, and I say to the audience, don't worry about making mistakes. You will. It's, it's inevitable. You're going to make mistakes, move forward, do all the things that I've talked about for the last hour in my speech. Do all of these things. You're going to make mistakes. You'll work it out as you go. Don't worry about making mistakes. And then I tell a story about a mistake that I made um, on live television. This is back 1995. Um, and, uh, you know, in 1995, uh, live television was live. <laughs> I mean, live. Uh, it was, you know, it was before Janet Jackson and the, and the infamous uh, uh, clothing incident, you know, the wardrobe malfunction. Wardrobe yeah. malfunction, yeah. <laughs> Uh, now everything is uh, tape delayed, but back then it was all live. And, and so um, my publicist called me and she said, you, you know, I just had a new book come out a, a few months earlier. And she said, I have a great interview for you. It's, it's called the Fairfield County Exchange. It's in Connecticut, but it's a really, really big show throughout Connecticut. And um, they'd like you to come in and talk about networking. I said, great, I'm in. She said, but it's live. I said, yeah, that's, that's fine. She said, no, no, it's live. So whatever you say is going to go out on the air. And they have like, I don't know what it was, like a million viewers. Are you okay with that? I'm like, well, I was okay. You're making me <laughs> nervous now. She said, well, you know, you got you to gotta know what you're getting into. I'm like, okay, I can do that. So she said, okay, fine. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll bring you in. Oh, oh, there's one other thing she said. You got to do something visual. I said, well, what do I got to do that's visual? I got nothing that's visual. I mean, I, you know, what am I going to do? Run up and down the aisles, pass out business cards? She said, I don't know. You're the networking expert. You got to come up with something visual. So I, I'm like, okay, fine. So I came up with this, Dan, it was the dumbest idea. The tools to network. And I went out and bought this little toolbox and I put business cards in it and card, you know, card box and a badge and all this stuff to network with. And I knew it was lame, but I didn't have anything else. And so I had to come up with something. And, and what I decided I would do is um, I would, I, actually, I asked my, my director, I said, what do you think? Uh, if I do a little magic trick, because I, I was an amateur magician. I am an amateur magician. I said, what if I do a little magic trick? And he said, well, what do you have in mind? I said, well, maybe I'll have the, um, the host. I'll say, I'll have her hold up a copy of my book. And when, when uh, I hold up a copy of my book, I'll, I'll, when she holds up a copy of my book, I'll say, oh, okay, careful. She'll say, why? And I'll say, because that's hot. And then, and I'll do this little magic trick. You, you've seen magicians where they go, and flame comes out of their hands. Yeah. I said, I'll do this little magic trick. I'll hold the book and go, and flame come out. He said, yeah, yeah, do that. That's good. So I decided to do it. So I go in. I'm ready to do this interview. I know I have a stupid thing with the toolbox, but I have a good ending. 
and I'm waiting for the interview and we're in a big room, the green room waiting. And this guy walks by dressed as a, um, a police officer. And then some guy walks by dressed as a, a, a Native American. And then somebody walks by dressed as a construction worker. And in the green room, somebody goes, that looks like the village people. Yeah. Now this was 1995. And we're like, no, that's not the village people, really? And so we're watching the show live, and they get on for a commercial break, and they say, ladies and gentlemen, next on the Fairfield County Exchange, the village people! And Dr. Ivan Meisner to talk about networking. <laughs> and I'm like, Ouch. are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I go on after the village people, this is going to be so embarrassing. So to get that flame, you have something which is called flash paper, which is like cotton. If you put more in, you get a bigger flame. So I thought, okay, this has got to be good. I'm going to put just a little bit more of that stuff in here so I get a big flame. So I watch as the village people go out there. Oh, man, they were incredible. Everybody's standing and dancing and singing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I go on next. I'm going to put just a little bit more of that stuff in here. Oh, no. And then, of course, what's the last song that the village people would do? Uh, I assume YMCA. <laughs> so the camera pans out to the audience. The entire audience is out there doing this YMCA. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. I got this toolbox thing, and I got to make this big. I'm going to put just a little bit more of that stuff in. <laughs> so... They're running over time. Producer comes in and goes, Meisner, Meisner, who's Meisner? I'm like, that's me. Okay, look, the village people ran late. You're going to have to come in, and uh, you only have a couple of minutes to get mic'd up and talk to the uh, host, and uh, you're going to be on in just a few minutes. I said, okay, just one second, please. A little bit more of this stuff. <laughs> so we, we, we go out there, and I say to the host, it was a man and a woman, and the woman was going to do the interview, and I said to the hostess, I said, look, I'm, I'm, um, I'd like you to hold up a copy of my book, if you would, please. And when you hold up a copy of my book, I'm going to say, and at that moment, the director came up and said, no, 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 I don't want her holding up a copy of the book. It's too much with the book. We're going to have a JPEG of it on the screen. You can't hold up a copy of the book. And she walked away. And you could see the blood drain from my face because that was my big close. And so the hostess, God bless her, she said, ah, I'm the host. What do you want to do? I said, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Would you hold up a copy of my book? Now, while I'm doing this, some big burly guy's putting a microphone on me, and I'm trying to have this conversation with her. Now the microphone is on, and I say, hold up a copy of my book. And when you hold up a copy of my book, I'm going to – so I never got to say what I was going to do. And the director came up again, and she said, hey, you two. I said, because now she could hear me. I'm on mic. She said, hey, you two. I said, she can't hold up a copy of the book, and you're on live in four, three, two <laughs> – and the host goes, ah, it's okay, don't worry about it. I'll just go with it. Do whatever you want. So I'm like, okay, fine. So we get to the end of my interview. She being the consummate professional she was, she held up a copy of my book. I said, oh, careful. She said, why is that? I said, because that's hot. And I went, and I maybe put a little too much stuff in the thing because it went, <laughs> and she went, ah, and jumped into the lap of her co-host, screaming, <laughs> You know, we're on live television, and she is screaming in the lap of her co-host. What I hadn't realized is that the cameramen, this is old school cameras, they all got blinded. So three cameramen, no one's staffing the camera. They're all doing this. The director's in the back doing this. She's screaming live television. She's clutching her chest. She says, "Thank we're still on. Thank God I didn't swear on live television. Thank God I didn't swear on live television. 
The only thing her co-host said throughout the entire interview, he said right now, he looked off camera, he said, wardrobe, new pants for her, please. <laughs> director says, cut, go to commercial, cut, go to commercial. We went to commercial, there was my director off camera. He was like, that was visual, we should leave. <laughs> so, you know, in most states, I'm considered an expert in networking, but in Connecticut, I'm considered an arsonist. <laughs> The point of the story that I make when I do this speech is, look, we all screw up. I bet you didn't, I bet you're not going to screw up on live television. I have. So don't worry about screwing up. Nobody cares. Move past it. Figure out how to do this right. You can be highly successful in your networking and, you, and you're not going to mess up on live TV like I did. That's the point. And, and the story really hits home that everybody makes mistakes. And that's what I was saying where, you know, if you can, if you can have some self-deprecating humor, somebody looks at you, they think, dang, he's really successful. Then they look at me and they go, yeah, but he's done some pretty stupid things too. So <laughs> we all have. <laughs> so that's the story. If I couldn't tell that story, life just would not be as, as fun. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing the story, Ivan. I appreciate it. <laughs> Wonderful. My hey, thanks. pleasure. Truly my pleasure. Absolutely. So where's the best place uh, people can connect with you? So uh, my blog, IvanMeisner.com, a uh, lot of free content, uh, including I, I, got, I have a new book that came out recently, Who's in Your Room? Nice. Who's in Your Room? A Secret to Creating Your Best Life. It's a great book. I got a lot of content up there. It's all free. Everything up there is free. And of course, if someone is interested in, in BNI, uh, you go to BNI.com and uh, lots of chapters all around the world. Excellent. And I'll link to those in the show notes for listeners too. Great. Uh, the, the book is, um, you can go to the book, uh, you can get it on Amazon, but uh, who's in your room dot online. If you want information about the book, who's in your room dot online. Perfect. Excellent. Well, thanks again. I appreciate your time today, Ivan. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Dan. You had some great questions. Uh, questions that I'm rarely asked. Thanks. Oh, thanks. So there you have it, storytellers, Dr. Ivan Meisner of BNI. What an incredible organization and such a good guy. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, share it with somebody. Send it on social media, email, text it, tell somebody. Uh, I just tell people on the street, hey, I have a podcast, check it out. <laughs> but if you tell them, even better. So thank you for that. And again, if you are new here and you want to subscribe, text the word storytellers to 31996. And visit the website, thestorytellersnetwork.com for more resources on how to tell a great story from uh, Park Howell, from Donald Miller, from other great resources. And just connect with me. Go to the contact page. On there, it'll be a button that says contact Dan. Send me an email. Let's have us a conversation. All right. So there you go. Thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for leaving reviews. Thank you for being a part of the Storytellers Network. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Thank you.